Yes, very good. And um, just thinking of, uh, we're looking, I've been looking when I've been preaching at the miracles in John, and we're up to, I don't know what number, it's about the fifth, I think, the miracle of the healing of the blind man. I believe it's number five. There's seven all up, and I think there's two more to go. But there's, as I've shared, there's actually eight because there's the miracle of the resurrection. But they're the ones John recorded that Jesus uh, did to show God's wonder and glory and power of his salvation and healing through those wonderful signs that John recorded. And um, just thinking, just before we pray as we uh, begin John, John chapter 9 that will be found tonight, that text the gospel of John and uh, when we have the privilege, the blessing of hearing a testimony of someone that shares how they come to know the Lord and it's just wonderful to hear as you hear of the change from before they knew Christ, their life as they share the old way, the old man, the old, the old nature, the old sin nature that they were a slave to, that before we were saved we were. And then they saw the light through the gospel shone into their heart and they believed and, that, and, they, and, they, and they share that victory that um, as they see hope in conquering sin and then what their life is after the cross after salvation in that conquering and still to conquer having true fellowship with God in those victories those battles yes and uh, those trials and then getting up again through short accounts with God and confessing that sin and, and growing as we call it in sanctification putting off the old man and putting on the new more and more into the image of Christ. So that's and and hearing the joy in that in those testimonies. So it is an encouragement. We had a testimony on Friday at youth group, it was, it, and it'd be good if we could have more. It's good for the young people to to hear that from someone else, how the Lord's worked in their life, and it's not been easy. And you know we 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 aren't perfect, but God is faithful and uh, understanding. Maybe that sin is in my life there, like recognizing that, especially for the unsaved, and uh, and and those same battles. All right, let's pray, and then I'll read the text, and then we'll look at what the Lord has for us to see tonight. Lord, we thank you for this night. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this fellowship and. It is by your Holy Spirit we can understand and know you, Lord. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, as you speak to us through it, as it becomes living, as you are a living Saviour, and thank you for new life that we have in Christ. We were once dead in trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive, made anew in Christ so we thank you Lord and Lord we we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers, against rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places Lord and 
The only way we can conquer sin is through your Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Lord, and pray as we have this opportunity for our brother Ian Dunn right now and as he's been admitted to hospital and that he would know your presence, Lord, and your comfort of mercies as your healing hand just through the wisdom and the direction of the specialists and the doctors there as they treat him. And Ruth would be comforted too, Lord, in that. And uh, we thank you for... All they've been through, Lord, quite a bit, both of them, Ruth and Ian, and their recovery, and for their testimony to answered prayer too, Lord, for the saints that have prayed, and Lord, bring them to where they are, Lord, we thank you, it's by your grace and your mercy alone, and we're very grateful, Lord, to know that you are in control, you are Lord, you are, as we saw this morning, our sovereign Lord of all creation of, of of the universe, Lord, of and your will we pray will be done as we sometimes don't understand all these elements and sicknesses and um, things that are happening, but we know that the heart of man is evil and that, Lord, you are the truth and righteousness and it will reign, Lord, we know, because you will you have the victory and through the cross and through your will being accomplished, Lord, and through your people. And may we abide in the Lord tonight and this week and glorify you. We pray for all those children that are sick, Lord, in our midst and that we know and with these lurgies and thicknesses going around, Lord, we commit as they would, um, Lord, through their parents, be comforted, Lord, and 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 we look forward to seeing them back here and having those times, Lord, where they're able to share more with their at home, stuck there with their parents. The Lord, the oracles of God, the word of God, which is able to make them wise unto salvation. And that's what we pray for our little ones, for their souls and knowing the Lord Jesus as their saviour, Lord, as they learn and see eternal life in Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name and thank you, Lord. Amen. All right. The heading of tonight's message is Now's the Time to Open Our Eyes. And you might pick this up with the reading. Let me start, as you may be in chapter 9, I want to start from verse 58 in chapter, as we look at the context. And that's where I'll start from verse 58 in chapter 8. And I'll read down to verse 6. Because I'm actually not going to... It's quite. A, it nearly covers most of chapter 9, the miracle of the healing of the blind man. The, it's the reaction after it um, is another message. But as we look at this first part, it's a bit like an introduction and then it, might be an, it will be another sermon, the actual miracle. And, and it leads into chapter 10, that same miracle Jesus is able to use in his teaching so verse 58 of chapter 8 Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you before Abraham was I am then took they up stones to cast at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by 
And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this sin? Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now's the time to open our eyes. My first point, it's BBB, not BNB, but BBB. The first one is blindness. From 58 in chapter 8 to verse 2, we'll see what the Lord uh, says here. And the key idea, the topic of is darkness because that's what blindness is, no light, complete darkness total absence of light and here we see it also as it is wickedness or evil as even the world describes when they talk about darkness as evil but sin and and the key idea I want to look at in this point of blindness what stops the unsaved from seeing the glory of God what stops the unsaved from seeing the glory of God and and as I just read there from verse 58, we want to answer this question through the response of the Pharisees toward Jesus, as we see there, and then Jesus' own disciples toward the blind man, as we read there in verse 2. So the Pharisees toward Jesus. We see from John's Gospel now how these the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders of the day, there was quite a conflict of interest was building um, their disagreement, their contention toward Jesus to where they hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And we see that from chapter 5, verse 18. It says there they wanted to kill him. And then on in chapter 7, verse 1, 7, 19 also and the Lord said to them, Didn't not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? They weren't not he was he's just explaining to them, You're not keeping the law yourself, you're guilty. And this was bringing obviously great conviction, which was bringing anger and madness. Then eight thirty seven and eight forty, right up to here, we see in verse fifty nine they went about steps. But we see the dispute, all right, from chapter 7, and their indecision, their, their hostility, they are horrified now through right up to in the context to here in verse 59 or verse 58 where the Lord Jesus says, I am. Because, and basically to the Jews, they were, he was stating to them that he was the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He was eternal. He was before Abraham. Like he was before Adam. He could have said that. And uh, But they brought up Abraham first in the context. But this great word, doctrine of truth, 
the great I am of our Saviour, his eternality ended. It ended this dispute so abruptly in how they responded because sadly um, they, they responded in anger when God, the Lord Jesus, was just showing mercy right as long as they kept arguing with him. And this happens now today in church, sadly. The great doctrine of truth is taught and contended for literally and people get abrupt and like an ingrained prejudice. They, they don't deal with it straight away or bring it before the Lord or confess it as sin and against the leaders of the church. And, and you know, whether it's against certain holy spiritual doctrines that we hold dear to and even against the law of Christ and they don't realise it by the way they respond. It's not Christ. It's, it's not humility. It's not esteeming others better than yourself in humbling yourself and then searching these things, examining yourself. In. But it's, it's their outrageous um, responses to such truth that has been taught also seems and um, like they don't seem like they're ever going to change. There's no change when the truth is continually held to and contended for in those circumstances. And everyone has, in these situations, has a stone to throw at the pastor or the preacher as we see them pick up stones. And what we've got to realise that Herod reconstruction of the temple is just not quite finished yet and so there are stones lying around still and this word for stones means it could be big stone obviously manageable that they could throw or smaller stones not tiny pebbles they 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 met they were angry they were going to kill him and the lord but even if he's um Okay, even if he's not their preacher, like people take offences from other churches when they hear of these rumours. And if we can't discern this wickedness in God's eyes, um, we will find out sure enough on Judgment Day the error, the wrongness, the sin of that way towards local churches and the preachers and the pastors and... And I, I, there's many verses, like in Timothy especially, as Paul is encouraging Timothy, the young pastor. But just for time, I know, um, like, yeah, we think of, like, the judgments. And we, well, I know there's two, like there's one for the saved and there's one for the unsaved. And And God knows these people's hearts that you just wonder sometimes in their anger and 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 behaviour and... As we see there in verse 59, the Lord knew their hearts and we understand their hearts too. They're, they're, they're not believing. And they had called him. They had called him as we look through the great time that he gave them in answering their arguments in the previous chapter 8. They called him possessed by a devil and, in, and they wanted to verbally crush him. And no doubt the devil must have been behind their attempt on our Lord's life, we can understand that, but not even their fury or all the devil's urging could pulse 
those arms to throw those stones. And so God's overruling, and it's a wonderful because, oh, may the Lord have mercy on us if we would allow to use the devil, like the devil to use us, to to hinder the Lord's work in any way or or hinder his people in doing the work of the Lord, in bringing glory to that great name, I am. So that's a warning, a challenge to us. And when we get out of sorts with the Lord, there's many principles in the Bible and anger and, and bitterness and all those things that lead to that. That there's many when we get out of sorts, we easily get when we get easily angry or even you know, can start from a small thing, a mount, molehill turning into a mountain. We we do lose human reasoning and, and we lose correct judgment. We lose that just general physical coordination even physically is affected and especially mentally. And so um, as we see here, right at the end of verse 59, and Jesus passed by and he gives us leave, you could say. Like the Lord's been merciful and patient and long-suffering, and even on an unsaved, in in help in like through a witness or through a testimony, and uh, but there comes a time, and Christ, and this is a statement I wrote: Christ will not stay who bid him gone. When Christ let them go, it was like he divinely. He passed by, but they didn't even know. So it was more just he was a man also. He was able to walk away and not they did not realise. Sadly, as we consider this thought, these last days of the church age, Christ is having to depart from many multitudes of churches. And and we see that as um in Revelation chapter three in the Laodicean church that that is what happens in the last days. For the and, and it's the reason for this is the sole reason they don't want him, basically. And it seems they are not aware of his silent departure. They think he's still there. Like these forsaken Jews, God left them and they never missed him. And so I want to look, as we've just briefly at the Pharisees, in, toward Jesus um, in missing the glory of God in their blindness just briefly at the disciples toward this man born blind as we see there in their response so Jesus knew he was blind from birth because he knows all things he's sovereign in verse 1 and then the disciples asked him in verse 2 saying master who did this sin this man or his parents that he was born blind and when we think of the disciples toward the man born blind, when we think of the darkening of a sky on a stormy day, as the storm clouds have been gathering, and what happens then? The sun, the light of the sun is removed. It, that's why it gets dark when the storm clouds. And we can. S- what we can see here is the unbelief of his disciples too. But Jesus hasn't given up on them. Many have forsaken him, as we read back at the end of chapter 6. 
verse 66, many of his disciples went back and walked no more. They found it too hard, but we have still a group here. And nor what we realize in God's mercy, Jesus had not even finished with his enemies yet, praise the Lord. And, and that helps us in our thankfulness toward us. And we were once enemies of God that he didn't give up on us. Even after their violent display of hostility in the temple, just in the previous chapter, did not prevent him. He was just living out the seeking first the kingdom of God as he asked his followers to, too, in verse, in, in, in the Gospels. And verse 5, In his mercy the Lord is going to continue to gracefully discomfort his enemies in displaying his deity. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But they would continue, we know, to reject until they had nailed him to the tree. And Jesus prophesied that. That's what they were going to do in 8.28. I don't know why they thought they were going to stone him. In chapter 8, verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He. And in the first part there, and 250 people start to lose their sight each day in the UK. I read that. Uh, and that's more... And in the US, it's supposed to be every 20 minutes and someone loses their sight. And you may think, oh, well, that's probably gradually, but somebody goes blind, it's saying, but... And this can be age-related, more in the older bracket, through glycomia or cataracts or diabetic-related or different health issues. And people who once had experienced the light of day, the beauty of colour, the pleasure of seeing loved ones and life itself, when this sight is taken away, it is very difficult for them. And ask Doug, and that's what he's finding difficult, and that's why he asks our prayers, that he can have a little bit restored without losing it all. So the condition of this man was even harder as he was born blind. He had never seen the light of day. He had never experienced the enjoyment of life. And, you know, in this generation, we're experiencing a generation that has never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, let alone God, just through not hearing the gospel because it's been taken away through the schools and parents are not letting their children come to Sunday school or the children don't want to because there's plenty of other things to enjoy, but they're not ever experienced the enjoyment of light. So the Lord Jesus and his disciples both noticed this man and He's probably sitting there being a beggar, a helpless one at that. And this should cause us, when we see these situations ourselves, to praise the Lord for our health, that we have the abilities we have to do what we can do as he provides for all our needs. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto us, those things we need or he knows we need. And... And so this was a desperate case. The Lord Jesus saw him, as we see there in verse 1, and looked upon him with concern, even though, and this is a beautiful thing, there was because he never knew what the joy of light was, being able to see, he, we see no request 
of his, well, not recorded by John anyway, on this blind man's part. And when we consider that, I just consider Matthew chapter 6, 8, right before the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples about the principles of prayer when they asked him about that. It says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And 6, 33, which is what I just mentioned before about seeking first the kingdom of God. And, but 32, before that, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. See, the world seek the, the, the wonder of pleasures and things, but your heavenly fathers, and just, just to live, but your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And here the Lord Jesus knew what need this man had. And unfortunately... As we do the same, as we sometimes respond like the disciples, we look beyond the blind man in our busyness, in our, in our, because they were rushing, they were fleeing from some people that wanted to kill the Lord. I believe, because the reason I say that, it's not a, some commentators say it might be a little bit time after, but when Jesus wants to say that, well, John, the writer, sorry, chapter 7, like after these things, and then chapter 6, after these things, that I feel that's the way John wants to express. There's a little bit of a time, but I feel that the, but the Lord, nothing stops him from his ministry, even on the threat of death. And so, out of mere curiosity, not compassion of the disciples here at this point, but how Christ had compassion and. As we see the Lord's compassion, this should fan to flame our compassion as we seek to be like him. And they didn't, maybe they didn't, they were just wanting to get out of that area maybe, but they obviously at that point were not trusting Christ to heal him. and uh, Or maybe they didn't think he would. And this great sufferer, we could say, of this blind man, outwardly very hopeless uh, in a, in a situation could too hopeless to be of any value to the community even with sight he's been so long without it maybe sometimes we might think like that but it was the cause of some sin they even tried to predict maybe wickedness even was it generational something his parents had done like wow who did this sin this man or like how could have he have sinned like if he was blind from birth like it's like it makes you think it's nearly the thought of eastern religion you know of re reincarnation like 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 that is pushed a lot today to avoid the conversation of god's judgment your next life is determined um by your previous life's actions you might have heard the word karma they use and but the question is with all when we consider this, like with this question they've given, I don't know what they meant by it, but um, it's mixed up, mixed up beliefs that from many religions and cults around the world. Uh, what separates one belief system from another? We just need to ask that question. And I thought this quote was very good. The theology of Jesus is the foundation for the Christian gospel and the breaking off point for all cults and work-based religions, end of quote. So 
the Lord in dealing with this himself, and that's, we can avoid a lot of uh, time in arguments, in, and then the people might even lose interest. What he did, not carry on a debate, but went straight into allowing God through himself to manifest his glorious light of the power of the gospel through Jesus while he had time still. And uh, we see that urgency in verse 4 and 5. And we'll look at that in a bit, in a minute. And it was unlovingly inconsiderate uh, of the disciples in just considering their response. And when we think biblically, the greatest sufferers are not to be looked upon as the greatest sinners. And, um, and again, I'm still reading through Job and his response to his friends that have these big... Um, Narratives on why he is in the situation he's in and basically they're calling him a sinner that has submitted some big sin and he's not confessed it before God and he knew that wasn't the case but it just seems to be a line of thought we may tend to in the flesh think to and maybe it's an underlying excuse well they've got to get that dealt with before we witness to them like I don't need like to move on and as they wanted to by the sense of it as we would look upon it with um, grace that we'd look upon it instead as in with grace in our hearts that it would be an affliction of a trial they're going through and they need that comfort they need they need the Lord they need to know his presence and that's why we prayed tonight for Ruth and Ian they'd know the Lord's presence in their trial and it was unnecessarily rude too to judge him this way they made it their sin because only Jesus knows so blindness and this leads us to beholding now beholding is seeing it's like John the Baptist said behold the Lamb of God who came to, who, to take away the sin of the world and and someone or something that beholding is, especially of remarkable, impressive nature. And I want to look at the start of this chapter of 8, at the woman taken in adultery, as it reads there in the heading. The topic is light. So we go from blindness, from darkness to light. And the dictionary says, light is a natural agent that st- stimulates sight. And makes things visible. I think we understand that. But Jesus, the supernatural agent, he's the one that stimulates understanding and makes dark hearts see. So what I want to look at in this one, in the key idea, how do we let the light of the world, Jesus, open the eyes of our darkened heart now? Because of that urgency. And Jesus defending the woman. And we know that story. I won't read it, but I will go through certain verses And as we consider the context of chapter 8, which leads into chapter um, 9, we see that the chapter starts with the Lord Jesus defending this woman and ends, as we've already looked at, enraged Jewish leaders picking up stones to throw at Jesus. These Jews intended to give him the death from which the Lord Jesus saved the woman because they wanted to stone her. With a cold lack of feeling, as we see here developing, they drag this poor woman into the centre of the temple court. 
pushing through the large crowds of people who were there standing around this great teacher who was sitting, because verse 2, and early in the morning he came again into the temple of chapter 8, and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And I can only imagine as they dragged this poor woman in verse 3 and brought unto him a woman taken into adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they stood her right in front of Jesus and Let's consider her feelings, how humiliating that would have been, how embarrassing in front of what we see, all the people from verse 2. Who were all these people? The pilgrims that had come from Galilee in various places of the known world to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, this feast had just finished, as we see in verse 7 of chapter 7. It was the last day, that great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so this feast of tabernacles, and it's a bit like, it's not like it's not the same, but it's a bit like our Lord's table. We, we don't celebrate the tabernacle of the feast. We celebrate the Lord's table. But... They still celebrate it as they do the, the religious Jews and in remembering their redemption out of Egypt and God provided through tabernacling in the wilderness but it's also looking forward like we do at the Lord's table to his coming but for them it's in the millennium when he will rule and reign and protect them again in that promise. That, and uh, so... I wasn't going to go too much into that, but they've just finished celebrating it and they're packing up, right, as you do on the last day of a something, a camp, or and preparing to go home. Many are from far away, the known, like from Galilee and, and various places around. Um, maybe one last look and listen to this great teacher. We know... They were impressed and many were impressed because in verse 45 verse 46 of 7, even the officers of the Pharisee, never a man spake like this man. So they wanted to hear him one last time. We see in verse 3 and 6, these evil men have set an evil, tra- set a trap, a subtle trap to try and trap the Lord to try and embarrass and accuse him of going against the law of God. And they were not interested in justice, we can see, only to trap him, verse 6 there, the start of 6 there. And they, the way they underlined this poor woman's offence in verse 4, at the end there, in the very act, in front of all those people, they said this and shows how coarse-minded they were. And then verse 5, they quote a bit of the law. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? But Jesus quotes what they broke and he did that um, down here. Well, he did it a bit later in verse 17. It is also written in your law that the testimony of the two men is true. But he didn't say nothing because we see that back here when they're doing this, 
He stooped down with his finger at the end of verse 6, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He did not answer. There's a, a verse from a song I just want to read that I think helps this situation. Quote, When I stand accused of my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, I will preach the gospel to myself that I am not a man condemned for Jesus Christ is my defence. And he says in her defence, he, in verse 7, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Jesus is reminding the woman's accusers that they too are sinners. Oh, verse 9, how conviction set in. None of us are good. Look what happens when darkened hearts start to behold the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their conviction. The Lord was not going to mitigate, in verse 10, the seriousness of this woman's sin. See, the crowd and everyone had left. That's quite a lot of people had left. But her condemnation had not gone away either. It, it was still there. See, capital O, the one and only one who had every right to cast the first stone at her, he forgave her. She said, no man, Lord. See, by faith, the woman made Jesus the sovereign Lord of her life. And Jesus knew her heart being sovereign. This was true repentance and faith. And he was able to say in that foreknowledge, as we're looking at this morning, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. That's true repentance, that change of mind in turning from idols to turning to the true and living God. And she did. And what a wonderful salvation that is. Go and sin no more. This woman was unable to see. When the law revealed her sin... She fell to her knees to see her Saviour plead for her. And what does it say in Romans 8, 3? What the law could not do, the Lord Jesus could accomplish. But I'm paraphrasing this because just for time. He could accomplish by a few words, the word of God, from his understanding heart. Everyone else left the temple courtyard that day with a guilty conscience and only the woman taken in adultery left with joy in her heart. She only believed in the forgiveness of God at that point. This woman said no to bearing the guilt and shame of sin that condemned her to hell. Out of all the people, all the temple officers, the religious leaders, all those travellers and pilgrims that stopped to hear one last word from Jesus that were there, who truly beheld Jesus? Well, 731, we see others had said they believed and many of the people believed on him and said, but they, in their, Christ, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath? And the Lord knew their heart because they also in 8.30, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
So this takes us on to our third point, our last point, believing. So blindness, beholding the glory of the Lord, as only the woman did, as we see at this time, and believing. What is true faith? Accepting by faith that something is true in the living gospel. And so we can think of blindness as sin, our beholding as our salvation and believing as our sanctification in the the fruit of the good works of our salvation. And the topic here is shine as a source of illumination. Give out a bright light while we can because there it says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world in verse 5. His time, he knows, is short. Key idea, shining our light of this glorious hope through our lives to a world of darkness while we can. It's my last point. At the end of verse 4 and verse 5, we see a great urgency. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. That should excite us in being a light in this dark world. The true work of God, the finished work of the cross, the miracle of redemption can only have true power to light darkened hearts if our communities, in our communities, if we are not only obeying but also living the gospel. And I just want to read in First Peter there, and they're under persecution here too, and more than we ever have been at this point. But verse 17 of chapter 4 of First Peter for the time, we're talking about time is short. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful servant. Well-doing there, as we read in that last verse, as we think in believing and living the gospel. One aspect of this is the importance, as we read there, in that context, in the unity of the local church, in doctrine, in fellowship, in outreach, in our devotion, in prayer, in contending for the faith together. All this will determine how brightly we show the lost we truly believe what we preach. And... It's been about 2,000 years since the final prophecies of Scripture were recorded. And today, the premise for the fulfillment of nearly every pre-rapture prophecy has never been more exciting. And we think about it often and it gives us great hope and expectation. But as this excitement arises, unfortunately, with the devil still with this same hatred for Jesus, using people to try and hinder Christians. Many Christians wanted to bait rather than study the word of God literally. And sadly, this leads to growing division amongst believers and what we see is conflict, we see disagreement and contention, mainly even over around the world, the timing of the rapture. And people um, even end up giving up bit like the disciples, if you come with that attitude we are just sharing before, people can turn off where the Lord had compassion 
and patience. And recent findings from organisations such as a Christian organisation, Lifeway Research, confirm that the infighting among Christians is deepening. And that was only done two years ago. It is so strange when we don't know the exact timing. Only the Heavenly Father knows on that doctrine of the rapture of the church. And we just have to be ready so Jesus can find true believing faith when he cometh. Because that's what's nearest and dearest to his heart, that we be found faithful. And uh, in our believing, true believing, while we patiently wait for the Lord's return, we must seek those things which are eternal rather than that which will decay into nothing. A right relationship with God, the encouragement and edification of the saints, that's also with our wives and our children included, and seeking souls that are lost who God brings us into contact with. Having unity in those areas is what the Lord requires. And when we conclude all this in thinking of now's the time to open our eyes, may we not be found ashamed by letting the world see um, may we let the world see the glory of God in our lives and in our churches may we not be found ashamed by not doing that and may through our intercessory prayers for the lost and our supplications for the saints allow the manifestation of God's power to heal blinded hearts of sin God can work through us in that unity in that prayer. And that's why prayer meeting is so important. We're just noticing a decline. And a lot of it's due to sickness and ailments and that too. But um, but if we can, it's so good to have the privilege. It's a, such um, something that has been given to us as such a great responsibility in being able to ask God for wisdom and boldness and the opportunity in reaching out not only to our church, but to the world. And may we as true believers grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this short message on your great compassion and example of love and patience and mercy, Lord. Even we see ourselves as once being your enemies and how we realise we don't deserve anything. And as we would see that, like that woman who was humiliated and shamed, may this draw us to the Lord Jesus Christ in our complete dependence on him, in his righteousness, in his love that is everlasting. Oh, our Father, we do pray as we would consider the importance of loving one another in contending for the faith, Lord, and praying that, Lord, you can do a work in and through us where we need to humble ourselves, confess as you bring. Maybe there are secret sins of not realising, Lord, of offences or uh, disharmony that we've caused through our personality or the way with attitude, Lord. We do pray that we would be willing to submit to the law of Christ, Lord, we pray, and not the law of man, which is pride. And 
It brings so much destruction. So we thank you now. We ask your blessing upon tonight in Jesus' name.